Welcome to Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. What does it take to lead yourself and your teams to high performance with ease? Today, you'll discover simple practices that separate exceptional leaders from the rest. Now, here is your host, Nicole Bendeley. Hi there. Welcome to this episode of Leading on Purpose. I'm Nicole Bendeley, and I'm so thrilled that you've tuned in. You know, today's episode is a pretty important one, um, especially as it aligns to my purpose of helping leaders to thrive more and struggle less. Not only helping leaders, but helping leaders and their team members to thrive more and struggle less. And today's episode is all about addressing and preventing the toxicity that can take over a team. And when we work in a toxic environment, we cannot be at our best. We cannot thrive. We will for sure be struggling far more than thriving. You know, I've been a part of a toxic team before, and so I I know how it feels, right? And I, I know that when you are part of a team that feels toxic, you can almost feel it in the air, right? The moment you either, you know, step off the elevator and onto your floor or the moment you log into your Zoom meeting, right? You probably don't even want to turn on your camera in your team meetings. You want to check out because you can, that feeling of it's an unhealthy climate is, is, is so palpable, right? It's immediately draining, Instead of starting the day with anticipation of the great work ahead, team members put on their coats of armor and enter survival mode, right? Either retreating internally or preparing for battle and what might come. Neither is conducive to a team's ability or an individual's ability to deliver results or to people's physical and mental, you know, well-being, I've been, as I said, a member of a toxic team, and I know firsthand how draining it can be and how powerless you can feel as a team member or even as a leader to the point where I chose to actually leave the team because I felt as though I couldn't help and contribute to changing things around. And, you know, whenever I coach a leader, whose team is in crisis. And I don't use that word lightly. I don't use the word crisis lightly. If your team is toxic, it's in crisis, full stop. And when I talk to leaders who are struggling with this, struggling with teams who are not experiencing a high degree of trust and respect, where there may be bullying, for example, or a lot of gossip, or just overwhelm and people are not showing up as their best selves, which is creating a high degree of tension. You know, I I hear a combination of frustration and anxiety in the leaders that I talk to. You know, statements like, I just, I have no idea how to handle this. And what if nothing changes, right? There's this sense of, I want to help. I want to turn my team around. I want to build the trust and respect and, and energy that's needed, but I just don't know where to start. So the good news is that it's absolutely possible to replace that sense of paralysis of I don't know what to do and my team is beyond help with one of empowerment. First, by understanding the root causes of the team's toxicity and then by developing a plan to address the issues at play, which is exactly what I'm going to do today. Now, 
you know, a healthy team climate is one in which people feel psychologically and physically safe within the team. And that's always been important. And COVID has put a light on just how important it is. And so it's not surprising that teams who are able to perform at their very best throughout 2020 and to this day were those who were already cohesive, those who already had a strong foundation of trust and respect, and who already had what I call a healthy climate. What 2020 taught many leaders is that teamwork matters now more than ever. And that if a team can't function at its best and deliver exceptional results during stable times, if we can't actively create a healthy climate, one that does not allow toxic behaviors and assumptions and attitudes to take hold, if we can't do that when times are good, then it's very difficult to do it when times are tough. And so you know, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to weed out those drivers of toxicity and look at how to prevent them or address them effectively when they do, when toxicity does arise. But before we do that, let's talk about what a toxic environment feels like and looks like. You know, I call, I refer to it as a cold climate versus a warm climate. And a warm climate, let's start, let's start there. Right, a warm climate, a team that is thriving, it feels like home, right? It's an environment where team members don't have to put up their guard. You feel safe to be yourself. It's a stimulating environment where everyone can learn, everyone can contribute, right? And it's a place where people just want to be. You know, it's interesting when we talk about warm climates and we look at the research from Google. Google's Project Aristotle. And they spent millions and millions of dollars researching what a high-performance team looks like, really trying to understand those drivers of a high-performance team. And they spent years and their best researchers on it to understand why some teams at Google performed exceptionally well while others struggled to keep up. And after a significant amount of research, the researchers were stumped. They could not figure out it wasn't skill. It wasn't having the best minds and the best skills technically at the table. They, they couldn't figure out what the was the difference that made all the difference until they came across research on psychological safety, which we're going to talk about in this episode. And it sparked it motivated one of the researchers to go back to the focus group notes and the interview notes and the research notes. And they uncovered a very important thing that all the high performing teams had in common. And it was team members saying, it feels good to be a part of this team. It feels good. It just feels good. I can be myself. I can contribute. I can learn. I can ask questions. I feel empowered. It feels good. That's a warm climate. In a cold climate, people are operating in survival mode, right? People go home depleted and overwhelmed, not because of the work or the volume of work, but because of the interpersonal interactions that cause 
the overwhelm that cause the stress that often result in burnout and especially in healthcare. A nurse, for example, that I interviewed for our book, Improving Healthcare Team Performance, described her team as a cold climate and said, after each shift, I go home feeling defeated because I can't give the care I want to my patients. I don't work in a supportive environment where people trust and respect each other. And that impacts my ability to ask for help and to trust that others will be there when I need them to be. That is a cold environment. That is one that I would refer to as a toxic environment. We do not want our team members working in survival mode. We want them thriving and striving. So let's look at the most common drivers of a toxic team environment and then what to do about them. Okay, so the first driver is a lack of a clear and embraced common purpose, and common goals. Okay, the first one, lack of a clear and embraced common purpose and common goals. When team members are united, right, united and connected by a common purpose, meaning why we're here, and common goals, what we're striving to achieve they're far more likely to be cohesive, far more likely to be able to work through conflict. Listen, let's not kid ourselves. There's going to be conflict. And in a high-performing team, there absolutely should be conflict about ideas and decisions and the best approach so that we can work through those differing ideas, not conflict around interpersonal issues and personalities and values, right? Conflict is important, but the way in which we work through it will determine whether we are working in a healthy climate or a toxic environment. And when we're cohesive, we're far more motivated to focus on what's in the best interest of the team as opposed to what's in my best interest. We're far more likely to assume positive intent of one another and be far more motivated to move the team forward as a cohesive unit towards the common goal. Now, what's interesting is that most leaders I talk to think that their team has a clear goal, but you'd be, you'd be surprised, I'm amazed every time, how often I am met with blank stares when I ask teams to describe their common goal, right? Or, or this is how it goes in a session, right? I'll, I'll ask team members to raise their hand when they have the answer to this question. What does success look like for your team? And often the leader is quick off the mark to raise their hand. And then the team members, you know, maybe one or two, but most often nobody else raises their hand. That's just the start, though, is getting clear on what the common goal is, what we're absolutely here to achieve. That's only the beginning. Connecting team members in a meaningful way to that goal and to their purpose every day is essential to combating toxicity. Too often teams are solely focused on those key performance indicators, right? Those quantitative numbers and goals, as opposed to goals that focus on culture, goals that focus on high-performance teamwork, those quote-unquote soft skills, which are now the hard skills, that are the most essential skills and attributes to have to bring to an organization. 
there's too much focus on the KPIs, on the quantitative numbers, and less focus on the culture. And so in order for a team to prevent that toxicity and to work through it, there needs to be a clear connection to the type of culture that we're creating here together, that we're striving for. And that type of culture must include people feeling safe to be themselves, feeling supported, and knowing that they are valued for their contributions. So when I'm asked to help teams to rebuild trust and build respect, you would think that the first thing I would do would be to dive into trust-building activities, right? That's actually not where I start. I start, first of all, with a team assessment. We use the team fitness assessment, which I've, I've talked to you about before. Um, and undoubtedly, and I already know what the assessment is going to say when I, you know, I'll understand that where the team is at, it's got very low respect, very low trust through interviews and, and other ways I can get a sense of the team. By the time we do the assessment, the data confirms that, right? And undoubtedly climate is in the dumps. But inevitably when climate is low, cohesiveness is low as well. When climate is low, cohesiveness is often low, which indicates there isn't a clear understanding of the team's goals, of its purpose, of the roles and responsibilities, and how each person contributes to the big picture. And so that's where I start. I start rebuilding trust and respect by building cohesion, right? Strengthening cohesion will ultimately strengthen trust and respect. And when we connect the team or reconnect the team to where it's going, why it's in existence, its purpose, and how it will get to its common goals, we'll see an incredible strengthening of trust and respect for each other. That's the place we start is building cohesion. So let me give you an example. I've been working with a team of 15 people or so for a little over a year now in the financial services industry. Yeah, I started working with them before COVID, just before COVID hit. And they brought me on to help build a more collaborative and united culture, one in which team members felt respected, trusted, and valued. And the team, the reason why they're there wasn't a whole lot of trust and respect at this point was because the team had gone through a significant amount of change over the previous few months. There was a significant restructure, which left people in new roles, which left people in new roles with new team members, a restructure that resulted in team members exiting the team. So there was mourning that was happening. People lost teammates that they valued and a restructure that resulted in new leadership coming on board, new leadership from within the organization and new leadership from without, from outside of the organization, right? And then finally, a new expanded mandate that required people to really stretch themselves in the ways they were working and look at their work in new ways. All of this happening at once, just before COVID hit, right? So, 
By the time I come on board to support the team, people are stressed, overwhelmed, and had built up a number of stories in their heads, right? A number of judgments about the leaders, about the restructure, about their new coworkers, about their role, right? And when people feel change is being done to them and powerless, as opposed to change being done by them, there is far more likely to be an unproductive reaction in people showing up in judgment mode rather than learner mode. And um, let's figure this out. I'm going to, I don't understand it completely, but I'm going to make the most of it mode. And that's exactly what happened here. Change was done to the team. The team members felt powerless, didn't understand the new mandate, didn't understand their new roles, didn't understand why this was all happening. And so trust and leadership plummeted and camps were beginning to form, right? New team members didn't feel welcome and trusted by the legacy members who had been with the organization 10 plus years. And the legacy members felt threatened by the newcomers. So this us versus them began to take hold. And so I came on board to help this team to work through that. It's not my job to fix a team. My job is to help bring the process and dialogue and tools and learning to enable others to work through and build an environment where they are able to thrive. And so I'm going to share with you some of the things these, this team did to work through that and build a highly cohesive team, even in the midst of COVID, okay? And to stamp out the toxicity that was starting to take hold in their team as a result of the restructure and how that was managed. So on the other side of break, we'll work through exactly what that team did to move from toxic to thriving. All right, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. One of the many things this past year made clear is that the world of work has been forever changed, and it is especially evident in the way leaders must now lead if they want the best from their people. At the Waterstone Culture Institute, we provide leaders with the tools and practices most essential to high-performing teams and cultures. Discover the three things the most effective leaders will do in 2021 with our free webinar. Visit waterstonehc.com slash culturewebinar and watch it today. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. Tune in each week for the power of young people to change the world. Hosted by NYLC's CEO, Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time or anytime on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
You are tuned into Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. Discover more about Nicole and how the team at Waterstone Human Capital helps leaders to build high-performance teams and cultures at waterstonehc.com. Now, back to Leading on Purpose. All right, welcome back. So I'm going to share with you some of the steps this team took to really stamp out the toxicity that was taking hold and affecting their results and their experience. And as I said, you know, one of the first drivers of a toxic environment is a lack of clear purpose and common goals. And so that's one of the places that I knew we would really have to start to rebuild trust. But I didn't want to make any assumptions. So we started with the team fitness assessment, right? And that, you know, it was clear as day that this team needed to strengthen its climate and its cohesiveness. Climate was the the biggest area. It was the lowest scoring element. It was in the, you know, unhealthy range as well as cohesiveness. It was very clear that people did not understand their roles and responsibilities. They did not understand how they contributed to the bigger picture or how their team members contributed to the bigger picture, right? Or what that bigger picture was even about. There wasn't a clear understanding of the goals. As far as the climate element, it was very clear from this assessment that people didn't feel valued, people didn't feel trusted or trust others, and they didn't feel there was a strong degree of respect being demonstrated within the team. And so it was very important, instead of jumping right in and addressing the deep-rooted issues that were affecting trust and respect... It was first important to connect, to reconnect the disconnected team to what they all have in common, their purpose and their goals. So during the first team development session, which was held virtually, and yes, you can have a very powerful, impactful virtual team development session because we were just about to embark on this and COVID hit. So travel stopped, in-person sessions stopped, as you know, and we quickly pivoted to virtual. And so I honestly, I wasn't sure how it was going to go, but it it worked out beautifully. Um, And so during the very first team development session, the team worked through a number of exercises to identify a couple of very critical things that would enable them to connect and focus not on the current state or the past, right? We need to start letting go of the past in order to move forward, but to focus on the future state that they all wanted to create together. So we connected the team to its purpose, why the team exists, and the unique value the team brings to the organization and to its customers. So spent time with the team, having them communicate to each other how they define the team's purpose and what that means to them as individuals and how the team's purpose is aligned with their version of doing meaningful work. Right? So there were two things happening there connecting to the team's overall purpose and sharing about individual purpose and what's meaningful and why they're proud to be a part of this team and connected and contributing to the team's purpose. That began, just that exercise alone begins to shift how people see each other, see the team, and feel about the team. 
Then we moved into having the team really define what success looks like, right? Going back to that question, what does success look like for the team? And instead of the leader telling them that this is your new mandate, it's about talking about, okay, our new mandate looks like this. And given that, what does success look like? And again, success is more about more than just about the quantitative, it's also about the qualitative, right? So the team began to talk about what does success look like? It's about being innovative. It's about delivering above expectations. It's about learning and risk-taking in order to bring the best solutions to our customers. It was bigger than how they had been and initially describing it in a, in a far more contained way. This was looking at culture, looking at team behaviors, looking at ways of learning and being as opposed to just doing an output. So they defined what success looks like together in a way that was meaningful to the team members and the leaders. And then thirdly, once they had a clear picture of what success looks like, they then defined the culture, right? That would be most essential to the team's ability to achieve its goals, right? What does that culture look like that will ensure a meaningful, positive experience? And once we grounded the team in its purpose, that was common to everybody, in its success, what that looks like, and in the culture that was essential, once we got clear on future state, then we shared the current state. Okay, this is where you're going, and here's where you're at based on the team fitness results, right? But it's not until your team gets clear on what they want to be and create together. It's in that space that people can then address what's getting in their way and what needs to change. So it's about creating the understanding also that the culture in which you work doesn't just happen to you. It is created by you and everybody plays a part in creating a high-performance culture and everybody plays a part in creating a toxic culture. So this is the place to start when we want to eliminate a toxic culture, reconnect the team in a meaningful way to the team's purpose and common goals, and engage them in crafting the culture that will be most essential for the team in achieving their goals and fulfilling their purpose. It is only when we're clear on where we're going together can we then begin to address what needs to change or what's getting in the team's way. Okay, so at this point, you know, before we jump into the next driver, I want to introduce you to one of my favorite models and tools. It's actually just occurred to me that I think this would be really helpful to you. Um, And it's Bruce Tuckman's team development model. And it directly links, I'm sharing this because it links directly to this example of a restructure and change happening to the team that can create toxicity and negative reactions. Um, And it also relates to building commonality around where we're going and how we're getting there. 
And so Bruce Tuckman's model states that every team will go through five distinct phases or stages, forming, storming, norming, performing, and adjourning. And I'm going to walk through each, except for adjourning, at a high level, because the way in which a team forms the first phase will have a direct impact on its ability to create and sustain a healthy team climate in which toxicity is not tolerated. It's addressed and minimized and eliminated. Okay. And that forming stage. So using that team in the financial services industry that I was talking to you about, let's say that team was in the norming phase of the team development cycle when they did the restructure. Whenever you add a team member or remove a team member, that team goes right back to forming the first stage. Even if you were in performing and working at your very best, when you add or remove or change roles, that moves your team back to forming, back to square one, because the dynamics have changed. The rules of the game have changed. And we need to reform. And the way we form, the way in which we connect new individuals or the entire team after a restructure to where we're going and how we're going to get there and create connection and clarity around how we each will contribute to that goal and be like, can build that passion and engagement and connection to it. If we don't do that well up front and create space for questions and dialogue and understanding of the why up front, we will get stuck in storming. And that's where this team was. There wasn't enough time to form an understanding why the restructure happened, why we're bringing on new team members, why roles change, why we have a new mandate, what that means, what strengths we already bring, how we're going to leverage those great strengths, how we're going to need to stretch ourselves and how we'll be supported in doing that and inviting input and commitments and you know, participation in the reaching or defining of those goals. That wasn't done up front. And so as a result, the team got stuck in storming where there was tension and misunderstanding and assumptions and frustrations. Well, that used to be the way we did it and it was just fine. And now suddenly we need to do it this way. What does that mean? And why are we changing? It was working perfectly well. And I used to do this job, but now Sally's doing my job and she's no better at it than me. I don't understand why I was moved over here. And I have no trust for these new leaders. They weren't working in this organization. They don't know how things work around here, right? That's storming. And storming is essential to learning how to work through conflict together. But the storming will be too deep, very deep and extended if forming doesn't happen well. And the the conflict will be more likely around interpersonal issues in storming than, than issues around lack of understanding and clarity. Okay, so the way in which you form is essential. It will impact the way you storm. And move through into norming, which is important where group norms come into play 
and the way you form and getting clear on those values and best practices up front and what we stand for and the culture we're striving for and created creating together, when you're clear up front on what that culture looks like and those expectations look like of one another and how each other prefers to work and communicate and, and, and you work through that together in forming, you're going to norm around productive behaviors. You're going to norm around the culture that you want to create as opposed to norming around unproductive behaviors. And then you'll be able to move through to performing because you'll have that foundation from which to launch from. All right. So the way you form and get clear on your culture and your goals and your roles and how each of you contribute is essential to preventing toxicity. And when you notice toxicity, if something happens and you move back to storming and it's unhealthy, the way to work through that is to go back to forming and reconnect to your purpose, reconnect to your goals, reconnect to your roles and responsibilities, build understanding of each other, etc. Okay, it's a very powerful model. And it brings us to the next driver of a toxic environment, which is a lack of accountability and a lack of connection to team values. So I have a question for you. When was the last time you and your team talked about your team's values and the best practices that must show up consistently? When was the last time you gave informal or formal feedback to a team member about a specific behavior or contribution, whether positive or constructive? The answer I'm looking for is today. I ask these questions because there really is no such thing as a void. If you and your team members ignore toxic behaviors and don't actively feed the culture with the behaviors and attitudes that drive a healthy climate, the void will be filled with unproductive behaviors and attitudes that stymie, disrupt, and create dangerous flaws in the fabric of the team. So let's go back to the example of the financial services team. Once the team spent time reconnecting to purpose and where they wanted to go, we created space for everyone to safely clarify expectations of one another. Okay, so you, they know where they wanted to go. They knew where they wanted to go as far as success and culture. They knew what their current state was from their team fitness assessment. They knew what was working and what wasn't, what needed to change. And so now was the time to clarify how we're going to go about changing what we as each individual need from one another in order to create a healthier, high-performing climate or culture. And so they clarified expectations. What they believed, each person believed needed to change or improve or be more consistently present in order to create the trust, respect, and culture needed. So this is where we introduced one of my favorite and the most powerful tools in a leader's and team's arsenal is team agreements, right? Team agreements define the behaviors and practices that team members believe are most essential to a team's ability to build a high-performance culture and achieve success. And team agreements aren't just a list of rules. They are visible behaviors and practices 
that are currently not showing up consistently within a team and that are identified by your team members. So for example, we created a process for team members to complete of this financial services team, the sentence, in order to actively build a healthy, high-performance culture, we need to do what? And they all, we used, um, what did we use? We used Mentimeter. Okay, if you're not familiar with Mentimeter, check it out, mentimeter.com. And it's a way to gather feedback anonymously in real time. And so we used Mentimeter and they came up with a whole list anonymously of, of things that needed to change. So for example, we agree to have a zero tolerance for gossip because gossip for this team was, was too much. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a lot. Um, we agree to spend time getting to know each other better. Um, other examples were around, we assume positive intent. We need to just assume positive intent of each other. We might approach things differently. We may not always bring the best tone, but let's just assume we're all in this for the right reasons and we want the best for the team and the organization. Other ideas were about, we need to share more information. I have no idea, you know, what this other team is doing and what their role is. Or I feel like I'm always the last to know and that doesn't feel very good. So we need to share more information, learn more and keep each other in the loop. We also need to respect that we each approach work and communicate differently. We need to give each other feedback. We need to appreciate and acknowledge. There were a whole bunch of things that the team members had identified needed to improve at the very visible behavior level, right? These weren't just general things. They were visible behaviors that were missing within the team. And so when we come back from break, I'm going to share with you how they use team agreements because just clarifying expectations for the sake of clarifying them isn't going to do you any good in the long run. Um, so how the team now uses team agreements to affect their culture and prevent toxic um, behaviors from even showing up. So when we get back, we'll finish our conversation on team agreements and then look at the next driver of a toxic environment. So stay tuned. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. One of the many things this past year made clear is that the world of work has been forever changed, and it is especially evident in the way leaders must now lead if they want the best from their people. At the Waterstone Culture Institute, we provide leaders with the tools and practices most essential to high-performing teams and cultures. Discover the three things the most effective leaders will do in 2021 with our free webinar. Visit waterstonehc.com slash culturewebinar and watch it today. Things Worth Considering, featuring host Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiousis, is a program that's all about connections. The connections we make with our families, our workplaces, friends, and others around us. It's also about connections to ourselves, spirit, feelings, and stories. Let us connect with you each week to explore who we are and what we can be moving forward. We can overcome the obstacles that stand in our way. Things Worth Considering airs live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate. 
Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are tuned into Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. Discover more about Nicole and how the team at Waterstone Human Capital helps leaders to build high-performance teams and cultures at waterstonehc.com. Now, back to Leading on Purpose. All right, welcome back. So we were in the midst of talking about team agreements. So this team, this financial services team, developed a whole list of behaviors and practices that they felt were missing, okay, or were not being demonstrated consistently, and therefore contributing to this culture of a lack of trust, a lack of respect, and and toxic behaviors. And so we walked through, we worked through, we talked about all of the behaviors and practices, and then had the team vote on which ones were most important for the team to focus on and commit to right away, right? Because we can have a laundry list of of expectations and, and best practices, but what we focus on gets improved. What we focus on grows. And so this team needed to be, every team, by the way, not just this team, fanatically focused on those behaviors and practices that will make the biggest difference to the team's effectiveness now. And so they voted. They voted on which of the, you know, 20 that were identified would be most important to the team now in building a high-performance culture. And we created a set of team agreements that included five behaviors and practices that the team identified were essential and that the team agreed to hold themselves accountable to and live up to each and every day. And so team agreements work. We've used them with hundreds of teams and have helped leaders across organizations develop them across the organization and use them to change behaviors for the better but they work only when a few things happen. A, when they're developed by the team. They are not going to work when you show up with a list of demands or expectations and hand it out to your team. It is your team members that need to identify what's working, what's not, and what we're going to do about it. What do we need from each other? How do we need to start showing up to be even better than we already are? So they work when they're developed by the team. They work when they describe visible behaviors, okay? So when we say we need to support each other, if that's an agreement, well, support might look differently for one person than it does for another. So what does support looks, look like? Okay, support means that we offer proactively offer help when we notice somebody is feeling overwhelmed. Okay, that's specific, right? They are... They work to change behavior when they are used. Team agreements, developing them once, filing them away, will never affect behavior change. We use team agreements when we talk about them, when we bring them out once a month at our team meetings and say, hey, how are we doing? And go through each agreement and ask for feedback on what we're doing really well, what we really need to commit to again because we've fallen down on. When they're used to create dialogue, when they're used in coaching conversations, for example, when they're included on your team meeting agendas, when they're visible. And they work when they're updated. 
So remember, team agreements are designed to change behavior. So if an agreement says we agree to give each other feedback on a regular basis, if that team, if your team already gives feedback to each other well and receives it well, that agreement doesn't serve a purpose. It's not there to change a behavior. And so if you have a set of team agreements and three months later, one of the agreements has turned into a new behavior that's part of your culture and it's there consistently, awesome. Celebrate it, recognize it, take it off the agreement and ask, okay, now what else do we need to do and replace it with something else? This is a way for you to continuously improve. Now, happy to share with you a team agreement facilitator guide if this is something you want to do with your team. Just email me, reach out to me through the Voice America Network on LinkedIn. Um, You can email me directly. Um, Feel free to reach out and I'm happy to send you that facilitator guide on team agreements. So let's move then to the next driver. All right. The next driver of a toxic environment is a lack of trust and fear right? Not a lack of fear, a lack of trust and and the presence of fear, right? Fear destroys team culture, eating away at it faster than anything else. Fear does not exist in a thriving team. In a thriving team, mistakes aren't to be feared. Rather, team members and their leader actively talk about mistakes so the group as a whole can grow and learn from them. In a thriving team, team members are encouraged to speak up, ask questions, voice concerns, and rock the boat if it serves the purpose of helping the team to be better, reach higher, and achieve their common goal. In a thriving team, people feel safe to be themselves and to let their voices be heard. Fear and lack of trust go hand in hand, and trust is the cornerstone of a high-performing team. You know, Webster's Dictionary defines trust as assured reliance on the character, ability, strength of truth of someone or something. Without trust in your leader and in one another, your team cannot perform at its best or even at a level of mediocrity for any sustained period. Trust is required for psychological safety. And when we work in a toxic environment, psychological safety isn't present. So let's talk a bit about what psychological safety looks like, since it's essential to high performance, um, but it can be very difficult to create and sustain. So I want to spend a little bit of time here before we move on. You know, um, Waterstone Human Capital at the Waterstone Culture Institute, we uh, have a our flagship program, Building High Performance Teams and Cultures. And the cornerstone of this program is building a psychologically safe environment. It's the foundation, really, highly tied to how we communicate, how we build trust. And through this program, leaders learn how to actively build a psychologically safe environment and what a psychologically safe environment really looks like. And it's far more than trust, but we're going to start with trust. And Amy Edmondson who is the author of The Fearless Organization, who is a professor at Harvard, who really changed the way we look at culture um, through her research on psychological safety, is is, she's forever changed the, the space. And in her book, she states, in a psychologically safe workplace, people are not hindered by interpersonal fear. 
they feel willing and able to take the inherent interpersonal risks of candor. They fear holding back their participation more than they fear sharing a potentially sensitive, threatening, or wrong idea. It's about being candid, right? It's about taking those interpersonal risks because I know it's my job to speak up. It's my job to ask questions. It's my job to share ideas, to give feedback. And it's expected that we do that. And it's safe to do so because there's a high degree of trust and respect and empowerment. That's not possible in an, in an environment where there is a lack of trust, where there is fear. Candidness is not possible, right? And so we can root out fear and build trust when we do one thing in particular. When we show we care about one another and we can show we care we are less likely to create a toxic environment and to behave in ways that make people feel less than or, or result in gossip or camps or bullying when we care about each other. And we care about each other more when we understand and get to know each other, which brings me back to the financial services team, right? The next part was just about that was about caring about each other, about seeing each other as human beings and not as human doings, seeing each other as people and not as the roles we play in the team, right? And so we took time for people to get to know their teammates, to understand their styles, to understand what makes them tip, tick, and so that they could build meaningful relationships. And we used a number of tools to do that and exercises, to build understanding of self, understanding of others, to build vulnerability and create vulnerability within the team. We used DISC profiles, right? So people could understand themselves and how other people work. We used exercises that allowed people to express themselves and share parts of their lives that they may otherwise not have shared, but adds to the complete picture of who a person is. And what makes, you know, what creates and, and influences them and the history that they bring and the experiences they bring behind your computer screen or outside of your job description. And so just that act alone, after we took time to build understanding of where we're going and why and the culture we're creating and connected to that future state and built excitement and clarified expectations, then people really began to get to know each other on a different level. And that enabled the walls to come down. That enabled people to start seeing each other differently under seeking to understand each other. And, and like I said, bringing down those walls where people truly cared about getting to know each other and cared about each other as people. And when there is a care, when there's a, a desire to care for one another, toxicity can't thrive. It just cannot survive in a caring environment. And so the final driver of a toxic environment is lack of recognition and appreciation, right? There's nothing more damaging to morale than when a team feels like their contributions don't matter, 
when people are when what people are craving most right now and I keep saying this is to be seen to be heard to be understood and appreciated for the significant amount of effort it is now taking to get the job done than it did pre-covid and people need fuel to stay motivated people need fuel to show up at their best to contribute and the energy that carries people the farthest comes from knowing their contributions are making a difference. William James said, the deepest principle of human nature is a craving to be appreciated. And when leaders take the lead in acknowledging and appreciating their team members' positive contributions on a regular basis, they promote the importance of focusing on the unique strengths each team member brings, which in turn brings team morale and appreciation for one another. And when we have appreciation for one another and care about each other and are actively contributing and connected to the culture that we want to create together, toxicity cannot thrive. And again, in the Building High Performance Teams and Cultures program, leaders learn how to build a system of appreciation that's meaningful to each person. And I just to bring this back to the financial services team, I'm so proud of them. They worked hard at, over a period of six months, and they still work hard. They're fanatically focused on building a culture of high performance in a healthy climate. And their, their team fitness results show that their work is paying off. We've seen incredible improvement in their climate, in their cohesiveness, in their shared leadership and change compatibility. Those four areas alone skyrocketed with their great work. So we just reviewed the four drivers of a toxic environment. Where to start? Start by resetting. Start by bringing your team back together to reconnect to your purpose, to your goals that you want to achieve together, and to clarifying that culture that you all want to create together. That's the place to start. And as a leader, my hope for you is that you will commit to this process of building cohesion, building and sustaining a team climate because it is delicate. It's not something that you can do once and forget about. The type of dialogue that's needed and the connections that are needed now is more important than ever in a time where we're feeling disconnected. So my hope is that you'll bring your team together, whether you have a toxic environment or not, reconnect to why you do what you do as a team, to where you're going and how you're going to get there together and show appreciation and recognition for each other along the way and build the open dialogue and care and vulnerability that's so needed to go along our journey today in this fairly fractured, disconnected work environment that we're all in. All right, so I wish you all the very best. And again, feel free to reach out to me should you want your team agreements facilitator guide or have any questions on how to build a high-performance culture. Until next time, I wish you all the best.
Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in again for another edition of Leading on Purpose with your host, Nicole Bendeley, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a wonderful week.